series, Chip and JoJo uh, lead the series. It's all about uh, restoring homes and lives and, and different things there. And we are in this series. It's all about Nehemiah. And uh, if you have a Bible, you can flip there. It's in the Old Testament, uh, Nehemiah. And, it, and Nehemiah's vision and mission was all about restoring and rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And last week, if you weren't with us, we basically, basically what we talked about was this. Nehemiah was, he was one of the Jewish people that were in exile. The, the people of God, they disobeyed God, and so God allowed them to be taken away from the homeland, away from the promised land, and taken by the Babylonians uh, to a foreign land, to, to Babylon. And so they were back to basically square one, to when they were slaves again, if you think back to Egypt. And then the Persians came in, and they took over uh, where the Babylon, uh, Babylonians uh, were there, and they basically kicked them out, and, and they were in power now, the Persians. And King Artaxerxes was the king of the Persians, and uh, still the Jewish people were enslaved there in captivity. And this character, Nehemiah, was one of the children of God that was a part of that. And uh, at this time, though, a few hundred years Slowly, the Persians had allowed some of the kids of Israel to go back to the homeland, go back uh, to Jerusalem and to Israel. And at the end of our time last week, we said, you know what? Nehemiah began to pray this prayer. He heard about these walls from his brother, and he said, you know what? It's going to be me. I, am, I, I can't take it no more. Uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to be the one that helps to rebuild these broken walls, these, this brokenness that's around the city of Jerusalem. Now, so the question of day is this. You've got to put that mission on his heart. You know, as we talked about and we've heard the news this morning, there is brokenness all around the world. There's brokenness in our country. There is brokenness in our community. There's brokenness in our families and in relationships. And you can't look very far without seeing brokenness around. So what's the response? What's Nehemiah going to do in reaction to this? It's been 10 years uh, now that I took a trip with some young people, and we were in Florida, and I gathered up uh, some leaders and a whole bunch of kids, and we went in response to Hurricane Katrina. Uh, You remember those images that we saw on, on TV, images like this. When the floodwaters and the, the hurricane came in, and although it wasn't a, a, a Cat 5, it was a massive hurricane, and in a city surrounded by water, suddenly there was water everywhere. And we know a little bit about water, but 80% of the city of New Orleans was flooded. And horrible images that we saw, close to 2,000 people lost their lives through this event. And so we responded like, a, did anybody else go to New Orleans to help? Uh, to help rebuild and help to in the projects there. So we took a group there, and we, we were a part of, of that effort. And we would walk around neighborhoods, and we saw scenes like this, where houses were just made into little sticks, and, and just the damage that was there. And, and total neighborhoods that were, that were they're just ghost towns. Just the, the destruction was so devastating to see. And there was just this creepy sounds as we walked through, almost a silence that whistled through, and people were even quiet. There wasn't a lot of chatter back and forth in the midst of the destruction and the despair that was, was there. Some of the houses, uh, I don't remember you, you seeing this, they had, most of them had X's on them. Do you remember that? And they would had codes for what that meant, like what had happened in the house or the destruction within. Sometimes it was the numbers on the bottom was the, 
was there a body found inside? Were there people alive? Sometimes there was even animals that, you know, what was still remained within the houses. And so there was this kind of mark on the houses. As you'd walk through, you would see these X's and these different things that were there. And I just remember seeing this scene as a, as a youth pastor uh, in my mid-20s, just thinking, where in the world, if I was in charge of this effort, where would you start? Where would you begin the cleanup? Where would, what would, what would be the first thing? What would we do? How do you even accomplish this? Just overwhelmed by the amount of, of brokenness that was present there in that city. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, that kind of overwhelming feeling of, of what do I do? Now, we like that kind of thing on a show like Fixer Upper, don't we? When they show at the very beginning of the show, they show three different options for the person to choose. And for some reason, my kids love to watch that show. And uh, we, they've even, uh, they watch multiple episodes at a time. And uh, it's just fun to watch. And what we want in those first three, those houses, is we want them to pick the worst house, right? The one that needs the most work, not the one that just needs a, a, a different carpet or a different this or that. We want them to pick the one they're like, what are we going to do about this? And you wonder, and sometimes even since that with the show is like, I don't even know when to, where to start. I mean, what are we going to do? This is the worst situation we've been in. That, that attitude kind of, kind of intervenes into the situation. I kind of I think that Nehemiah potentially had that thought. Because what happened was he responded. He goes to Jerusalem. And in Nehemiah chapter 2, hopefully you're there he actually begins to take a tour of the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem has just been ransacked. There's, there's burnt buildings, and, and the walls have been burnt and broken down. It's just destruction all around the city, and the people are starting to come back. And so I wonder if there was just this quiet just murmur that was even around the city, and people walked with their eyes down to the ground. As we read this, he says in, in, in verse 11 of 2, So I arrived in Jerusalem. Three days later, I slipped out during the night. So he went out into the night, taking only a few other people with me. And I had not told anyone about the plans that God had put on my heart, in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us except the donkey I was riding. So setting the scene here. He's on the donkey. He's got a few other people, and they are basically they are inspecting the walls. They're going around, and what exactly do we have here? What you know? What exactly does this place look like? And we can pause here, and if you'll, there's a, a diagram that I saw. No one historians don't know for sure the size exactly of the city, but basically this was the layout of the city. Now, cities, the city wasn't as big as what, you know, we think of with Houston. We're not talking about the Beltway, okay? Uh, but most scholars tell us about a mile and a half to two and a half miles in circumference, okay? So that's about the distance around this wall. But just think about the massive scale of, say, two miles of broken walls around a city. And so this was the city, and you'll hear some of these names in, in a few minutes in this chapter, but this is kind of what the, the city looked like. And so what Nehemiah did that night is he got on a, a donkey with a couple other people and just began to ride a, a, around the city. And it tells us most likely that he went counterclockwise around the city. 
and he's in, just checking out this wall. How bad is this damage? How bad is it? And he gets to this one point, and, and we'll read it here. After Adarka went through the valley gate, past the jackal's wall, and over to the dung gate. That sounds exciting, dung gate. To inspect the broken walls and the burnt gates. Then I went to the fountain gate, to the king's pool. But my donkey couldn't go through the rubble. The rubble was so bad, the destruction was so bad, that the donkey could not go any further. So he gets off the donkey. So though it was still dark, I went up through the Kidron Valley instead, inspecting the wall before I turned back and entered again at the valley gate. So he goes through, and he, he just inspects the whole thing. It's so bad that not even a donkey can't even get through it. I wonder as he's thinking this and looking through this, and I wonder if he even had this conversation with God. God, I responded to you. I did what you told me to do, and now this is a mess. I don't even know what to do here. I'm just overwhelmed by all of this. What's next? What, maybe I should just go back. Maybe I should just go back to Babylon where I came from. This is just it's too big of a task. And I don't know if you felt that way before. Maybe God's moved you in a certain direction or provoked your heart. Or maybe you've even come into service before like this one. And you felt God talking to you about something. But then when you went back to, to actually make it happen, it was tough. It was hard. You felt maybe overwhelmed by the, the whole thing and just was easier just to forget about what God told you about, about in the beginning. It, the brokenness is too much. But the funny thing is that I don't think that Nehemiah responded that way. I don't think that's the way that when he went around the walls, that wasn't his reaction. That's not what Scripture tells us. It doesn't tell us that, well, he packed up his stuff and, and took off back home and said, hey, good luck, guys. You know, hope you make it out of this okay. He didn't go back to his, where he was. And there's some things that I notice about Nehemiah that I think actually it prepared him for this moment. And here are just a couple observations from this passage. And and I will tell you this, this book is so fascinating. I have, as I'm kind of getting into it more and more, there's so many things that I wish that we could share every week. And in fact, it's a four-week series, but I mean, we could make this almost a three, four-month series. So I just invite you to jump into to the book of Nehemiah. But some things that I, I've, I've learned about him is this. We learned in chapter one, he was a, a what? What was his job for the king? You remember? He was a cupbearer, okay? He was a cupbearer. He bared the cup to the king. You sound, that sounds like an exciting job uh, to be the cupbearer. Basically, what he did was he was like the head, remember the head butler? And he would kind of be in charge of the others. And he was also the person that was trusted by the king because he had to actually taste to see if it was poisoned or not. And he had the ear of the king, and he spent time with the king. So he, how do I know he was a hard worker? Well, b- because he worked his way up to that position. That didn't just happen overnight. That was like very uh, many, many rings up the, the, the ladder. He was able to work his way up to that position to get to that state. And it's important that he, he did. And, and maybe you're saying, well, why did he do that? They were in exile. These people were taken away from their, their homeland, and, and now he's working for a foreign king. Well, actually, in Jeremiah, and, and the Bible kind of all works together, there was this word from the Lord a hundred years before to Jeremiah, and it says this, and, and when you're in exile, and work, work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I send you in exile. And he's telling this to the people of God. Pray to the Lord for it, for it, it's, its welfare will determine your welfare. It's where welfare, the city's health, will determine your health. 
Have you ever had a job that you could not stand, that you knew this was not what you were meant for, that you were doing something that you felt maybe was even beneath you? They were like, why am I doing this, this job that I'm in that I loathe to go to work every day? If you're like that, it's okay. Just kind of shake your head, okay? Now, I've had several jobs before I became a pastor. I went through a couple summers of just ridiculously weird jobs that I had. I, back in the day, there are no really, there's not any teenagers in the room. They're out in the, out in the back. But back in the day, they had these temp services. You remember temp services? That they would send you to different jobs, and sometimes that job would be for like a couple of days, and sometimes that would be like for a month. So for a couple of summers, I did this kind of stuff. Uh, I, these are some of the jobs that I had. I was a secretary at a uh, psychologist's office, so I would, as people would come in for, with their problems, I was the first one, the line of duty there. I was actually the construction worker guy, you know, the slow stop guy. Uh, I did that for a couple of weeks at 100 degrees in South Carolina. Uh, that was me. I worked in a T-shirt dyeing factory, okay? They are white at one point, and then they come out different colors. Guess who got to do that? Uh, this guy right here. Um, so some of those kind of jobs. Uh, in college, I was a valet. That was a fun job. I was a telemarketer for two years, Okay. Has anybody ever had to cold call people before? Uh, whoo, that's fun, okay? Now, now, why am I saying all this? Because no matter where you are right now, no matter what you're doing, I think what God tells us through Nehemiah is this. He worked hard to, in what he did to get to where he was. What, is, what does God tell us in the, in, in the Word? He says this, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, not people. Colossians tells us this in the message. Check this out on the screen. And don't just do the minimum that, that, that will get you by. Don't just do the minimum. Do your best. This is the message version. Work from the heart for your real master for God, confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ, the sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. Wow. That's kind of hard words to read, isn't it? Because if you're in a situation like that, you just, maybe it feels like, man, I just need to get enough, do enough to get by and get a paycheck. Okay? I think we've all been in one of those jobs before. But what God tells us is that when you're in those situations, work as if you're working for the Lord. <sighs> work as if you're working for the Lord. But why? Because you represent him in that place. Wherever you're at, you represent him in that place. And when people see you, they see him. And wherever you are, no matter where that place is, I think God uses those moments of our life to build our character, to build us up for the future, for what he has uh, for us. And that's exactly what he did for Nehemiah. He was in the perfect place. It took all of the hard work to get him to that place to be able to ask him what he's about to ask him, the king, as we, as we keep looking on. There's something else I noticed about Nehemiah, that he was persistent and passionate in his prayer. If we were with us last week, we, he heard about these broken walls in Jerusalem. And immediately he hits his knees. He cries out to God and he says, God, I am I'm just, my heart is broken. My heart is broken for the things that, that break your heart, God. What do I do? And it just this, this back and forth with, with God and, and he prays. But 
But I don't know if you've ever noticed in some passages like this, sometimes they drop in just random things in a passage, okay? So if you look back in chapter 1, right before all of that happened, it says this. It says that Nehemiah 1, it says, In the month of Kislev, re- Nehemiah receives the news of the broken walls and begins to pray. The month of Kislev, okay? Now, scholars tell us that that's probably like our October or, no- or November, Okay, now let's fast forward to chapter 2 of Nehemiah. What does it say? Early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king as wine. I never uh, before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick. You must be deeply troubled. All right. So he hears the news. He begins to pray. And that's about October or November. And this, this meeting with the king actually happens in the spring. So all during that time, about five or six months, he's been praying and asking God and hoping God begin to soften the heart. That's his prayer. Begin to soften the heart of the king. I don't, I don't know if, the, if you're like this, but sometimes I go to the microwave and it may be popcorn or whatever I'm making, okay? And I push the little buttons. It's two minutes or three minutes. I'm like, can this thing not work quicker? And you just start to, I mean, can this not cook this hungry man uh, dinner or whatever you're, why does it this happen faster? Have you ever hit your phone? Come on, connect. As it goes up to space, the signal that it's sending. We have been trained as a culture, okay? Uh, this is okay to admit that we want it right now, right now, right now. And if it doesn't, we just, I had to go around uh, the Beltway yesterday and got redirected into traffic on a Saturday in Houston, and it delayed me by like 10 minutes, okay? Through, and it just drove me nuts. I don't know if you've been on 290 lately or the Beltway, and the con- just construction in general. When we were just delayed a little bit, that just throws us off, doesn't it? Have we ever gone to God before and said, come on, God, give me an answer Right now. Right now. I don't think that God works that way. He's not really a microwave oven. He's more of a crock pot, okay? He's more of a crock pot. It's just a slow process of, of cooking food. Now, I don't know if crock pots are the best way to cook food, but they're a good way, especially on Sundays. But that's kind of the way God works, that it's, there's a slow process. And I think a part of that process is for us as well that we need that process with, with God. And there's a good, there's, sometimes it's good to wait. Eddie and I, Eddie recruited me this week to pick up a van for, for RTA. So I go down to the airport uh, to Hobby. Uh, yes, Hobby. I had to go all the way down to Hobby. Uh, that was the Lord's work uh, this week. And I said, we was around lunchtime. Let's find a place to eat. And uh, Eddie is really, you know, very Yelp-minded, and so he found this little Chinese restaurant, okay? And I don't know if you know this about Pastor Eddie, but he'll eat anything, okay? He'll eat anything at any time. He, he doesn't care. Uh, he's just got, like, this iron stomach. I am now an older gentleman, and I have problems with that kind of stuff, okay? In fact, those little dates on, like, milk and bread, that really bothers me, too, Okay? If it's, and I, I think the world has been divided up in two different people. If it's close to the dates, I will not, the, the expiration date, I am not going to eat it, okay? Or drink it. That's not me, all right? Now, there's other people in the world that you're like, what's the big deal? You're just being a weenie, okay? Uh, 
You know, I survived the Great Depression. I can eat some milk, drink some milk that's a couple of days past. Are you with me and you're just kind of, you're not going to eat that or drink that, all right? What, uh, are you like Eddie and you're just like, I can just eat anything or drink anything and little mold, I'll just take that off the bread. It's okay. We go into this Chinese restaurant, okay? And I already, I'm a little leery. I love Chinese food, but I'm just a little leery and I, because I've never eaten here before. We order, okay, I get it. We order drink and we order our, our lunch. My go-to is sesame chicken. I feel like that's a pretty safe thing to get. Well, soup came with the lunch. The soup came out within 30 seconds, okay? It was already, he turned, the, the, the gentleman turned around, went to the kitchen, grabbed the soup, put it on my, my table. Within two minutes, I am not making this up, my food was back on, onto the table, okay? And I hadn't even gotten a drink yet, okay? There was no drink yet on the table. And I have to tell you, there's some things that I kind of want to be cooked a little longer, all right? This is also true for me in sushi restaurants. I, I love sushi, but I, you know, I kind of, there's some things that you kind of, it's okay to, to go a little slower, okay, to make sure. Chicken is one of those things that I want to make sure is cooked, all right? I think God, sometimes there's quick answers. I think sometimes we need the slowdown process. And the slowdown is not just for the, the thing that we're praying about, it, but it's, a, it's for us as well. And I think this is so true uh, for Nehemiah and this. And so and with that, I just want to encourage you in this moment. Just, this just jumped to me. If there's something you've been praying about, and I know that there's for some of you, you've been praying about it for a really long time. Can I encourage you? God has not forgotten you. God has not forgotten you. He is hearing your prayers. Uh, continue as, as, we, as we read this. It says this, uh, then I was terrified. Now he's right in front of the king. It's now, it's been five or six months of, of praying, and he's right there in front of the king. And it says this, I was terrified. But I replied, long live the king. Because what did the king say? You look sad. You look sick even. And, he, and Nehemiah's reply is this, how can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked this question, well, how can I help? All right, now, this is a cool moment, and I hope that you see it all. You, you have to kind of back up a step to get this. First of all, why is he scared? If you are a servant of the king, you don't show up with a sad face. You're like the court gesture. You're always happy, okay? You can't be sad around the king. You have to be happy no matter what's happening in life. You just have to put on a face. And so what happens for Nehemiah that day? He's actually sad and so sad because of this broken heart that he has for the walls that the king notices what's wrong. So immediately his reaction, he, there is a sense of terror that's there. How is this next few minutes going to go? How is this going to happen? There's also this sense of terror because he knows this is the moment, the moment that he has been praying for. And sometimes there are moments in our life that are they're kind of mixed with fear. And you know that God is moving in a moment, and God is calling you or to say something and do something, and there is a little bit of fear within you, and you've got to make a decision. And Nehemiah had to make a decision that day. We're getting ready for one of my favorite series that we do all year. It's, a, it's, basic, it's called HFC at the Movies. 
And uh, for the month of July, uh, we're going to be taking different movies. Uh, I'm a huge movie fan, and so we're taking different movies, and we're looking at them and maybe how God can speak to us through these movies and through his word together, mixed together. And the reason why we're doing this, there's sometimes that I'm watching a movie, and I have God moments in movies. I don't know if you can have that, but I think God kind of uses anything. And I had one of those moments, and this is kind of our preview to the movie series. There was a movie that I watched a few years back. It's called We Bought a Zoo. And I don't know if you saw that movie, but Matt Damon loses his wife. Uh, he's a, is a widow, and uh, he has his kids, and, and they're going through life and trying to figure all that out. Well, the theme of that movie is this. You can do anything if you have 20 seconds of insane courage. If you can just gather up 20 seconds of insane courage. And here is the ending uh, of that movie. Anybody need a Kleenex? I think life can be defined in those moments sometimes. Will we have the courage to step up when, when God is moving and telling us to say something or do something? Not just in a moment like that. That's fun. But when God's calling us to do something big, in our lives. Nehemiah had that moment, and it says this. The king says, well, how can I help you? And listen to his response. With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied. It's almost like he whispered this prayer. God, help me. All right, 15 seconds, 14 seconds. I can do this. If it pleased the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Here's a little side note. The reason why the city is broken and, in, and burned down, remember that part? People had actually been going back to the city to try to rebuild it for now 100 years and had failed. Okay? And the, one of the reasons why they failed is this. Some of the people around the city, they said this. If those people rebuild that city, then, then maybe we won't have enough. Maybe they'll be greater than we are. And so they sent word to a king and said, hey, king, if they rebuild this city, if they re rebuild those walls, you, they probably won't be loyal to you. They probably won't pay taxes to you. You should put a stop to it. So they sent a letter to the king, and the king sent soldiers, and the soldiers burnt down the wall, and the, they broke them all down, the, all the work that had been done to try to build it back up. Guess who that king was? King Artaxerxes. So here is Nehemiah in front of the person who broke the walls down, asking if he can have permission to go rebuild the city. Reason to be scared. And his response is, is, is what? The king with the queen sitting beside him, how long are you going to be gone? And when will you return? And after I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. He agreed to my request. So in a moment of bravery, God puts his plan into motion through Nehemiah. Really quick, a couple of things I love about Nehemiah as well is that, you know what, he was prepared and he had planned, okay? Now some of us are fly-by-the-seat-of-our-pants kind of people, and some of us are plotters and planners, and some people, some people are doers, some people are visionaries. There's all kinds of us in the room, all right? But there is nothing wrong. In fact, God endorses planning and preparing. And that time that he was preparing, that praying, that five or six months, God began to put the plans upon his heart of how he was going to accomplish this goal, this mission. In fact, when scholars tell us in this passage, when he goes to the king, he doesn't just ask for permission to go back. 
what does he say? I, I said to the king, if in, this is the and, oh, by the way, thank you for letting me go. If it pleases the king, let me have some letters to the governors of the province of west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Jerusalem or to Judea. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's force. Basically, can I have the king's keys to Home Depot, Jerusalem, for any supplies that I would need to build this wall that's there? Instructing him, me, him to give me timber. How am I going to build this wall? The king is going to help him build it. He's going to give him the supplies. I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple, fortress for the city walls, and for a house for myself. And the king granted these requests because of the gracious hand of God. It was on me. And so he even knows the name of the guy who's running the Home Depot, Asaph. He says, I need a letter to Asaph. He was prepared and he was ready for that moment. Even when he went to Jerusalem, when he went on, he took that journey to Jerusalem. He waited three days before he went out and inspected the walls because he was planning. He was preparing. He was talking to people around the area. So he was prepared and he was ready for that. Another thing I noticed about Nehemiah is this. He did not do it alone. He didn't try to do it alone. He didn't try to go to this two-mile long wall and say, you know what, I can do this. If I manage my time well, and if I do this and that, I can, I can do this for the Lord. In fact, he invited others into this mission and this vision, and he invited people into this journey with him. Check it out in Nehemiah 2. It says this. He didn't tell anybody about this, but he gathered the Jewish leaders and the priests and the nobles. They were probably wondering, what is this guy doing in this town? Why is he checking out the walls? But, but now, in this great speech, he says to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Does he say that you are in? He says, you know the trouble that we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been upon me and my conversation with the king. They replied at once, yes. Let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. So he gathers the people together and says, here's the mission. Here's the vision. There's brokenness all around us, absolutely. You've walked around in shame for years and in quiet, and you just walk through the destruction. Now is the time to rebuild. Now is the time to restore brokenness in the lives of the people around us, in our families, in our hearts, and God is going to help us do it. Are you with me? And the people respond, let's do it. Let's rebuild the walls together. CBS went back 10 years to Katrina and said, you know, what, is th what are things look back like uh, there? And they did a, a little special on it. As we look around the brokenness in our, our, our world, in our community, in our families, the response is this. You can either step forward and be a part of God's good work, restoring the brokenness, because that's what he's called us to be and do as the people of God, to rebuild and to build his kingdom here in this place, in your circle, in your home. And you can either step around it or you can step up and do something about it. But God's called us to step up, hasn't he? He's called us to step up. He's called us to have some courage, maybe some planning. 
And maybe the planning, that's not your thing. And you need to invite somebody into your life that is good at that. And what's the next step and the next step to help heal brokenness around all of us? There is this one of those chapters, chapter 3 in Nehemiah. You can flip to it in your your Bible. It's one of those chapters, if you were doing like a a reading, uh, like a you know, a reading study or a, a year-round reading of the Bible, you would probably go really fast through this chapter, okay? It's, it's the, the chapter that's full of all the names of the people that helped build the wall. It's all the people that showed up that day and said, we're going to rebuild with you. And it's names that we have a hard time pronouncing. And it's the names that we don't want to say out loud because we're not really sure how that goes, Right? And that's what chapter 3 is all, all about. And I don't know if I've ever heard a, ch- a sermon on, on chapter 3 of Nehemiah for that very reason. But I wonder if it's a little different as we think about it today. As the people begin to step up and say, we're going to be a part of this. Because there was once this high priest, his name was Elishib. And he and the other priests, this is chapter 3, if you want to follow on your phones or your Bible, started to rebuild at the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set up its doors, building the wall as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and the Tower of Hanal. People from the town of, of, of Houston worked next to them, and beyond them was Jim, son of James. The fish gate was built by Ray and his son. They laid the beams. They set up its doors, and they installed its bolts and its bars. Then there was Rich, son of Arthur, and grandson of John. And they repaired the next section of the wall. Beside him was Becky, daughter of Bob, and granddaughter of John. And then there was Don, the son of Alvin. Next were the people of of Tekoa. Now, you don't want to be somebody from Tekoa. I don't know if that's in Ohio. That though their leaders refused to work with the construction supervisor. So this is what happened. The people of Tekoa, they showed up and they're like, this is really not my thing. This physical labor thing. This building of the kingdom stuff. You know, that's for lesser people. I don't really have the gifts to do that. I just don't want to do that kind of thing. And so they just didn't help in the process. The old city gate was repaired by Randy, son of John, and David, son of Carl. They laid the beams, and they set up its doors and installed its bolts and bars. Next to them was Shelby from Fort Hood and Lisa from Plainview, Texas. People from San Antonio and people from Austin the headquarters of the governor of the province west of the Brazos River. Next was Lynn, the son of Lloyd. He's a teacher by trade who also worked on the wall. Beyond him was Nick. Nick is a a manufacturer and a seller of very cool computers. They left out a section of Jerusalem as they built the broad wall. There was Joseph, the son of Daniel, the leader of half the district of Sypher, was next to them on the wall. Next, there was Kent, son of Melvin, and he repaired the wall across from his own house, across 
from his own house. And next to him was Lisa, daughter of Earl. Then came Robert, son of Bob and Jimmy, son of Dan, who repaired another section of the wall and the tower of the ovens. There was Steve, son of Willard, and his daughters that repaired the next section. He was the leader of the other half of the district of Houston. The valley gate was repaired by the people of Seguin, led by Jim. They set up its doors. They installed its bolts and bars. They also repaired the 1,500 feet of wall to the dung gate. The dung gate was repaired by Carrie, daughter of Howard, the leader of the Colorado district. She built it, set up its doors, and installed its bolts and bars. The fountain gate was repaired by Joel and Eric, sons of Samuel, the leader of the Mispah district. He rebuilt it, roofed it, and set it up its doors and installed its bolts and bars. Then he repaired the wall of the pool of Shalom. And it just keeps going on and on and on and on. These aren't just random names, people. They're names of people that actually were involved in the restoration process of an entire city. And he's calling you and he's calling me to be a part of that restoration business. Doesn't matter if you're a teacher, doesn't matter if you sell Apple products, doesn't matter where God has placed you. He's called you to work hard there and to have eyes for the kingdom right there. He's called you to be led by the Spirit, but also to plan in the Spirit. He's called you to have courage in moments that takes just 20 seconds sometimes to just say the thing that God has put on your heart, to share Jesus with someone, to invite them to church, to invite them to VBS, to say, hey, can, how can I pray for you? I'm a person of faith, and I can tell that there's something in your life, and I just, how can I courage in those moments. He's called you to invite others and to be a part of a community that want to restore the broken. That is good news because the wall was rebuilt. He was rebuilt. Now this morning, I'm going to invite uh, the worship band. They're going to come up. And our response today, thank you for everyone that helped. You get a chance to, to respond as well. There are some uh, blue cards on your chair. And I don't know how God's been talking to you in the last couple of weeks. And I don't know how God's been talking to you in the last few minutes. But maybe you can think of someone. Maybe you can think of a situation. Maybe it's a huge thing that God's put on your heart. Maybe it's a single name of someone you work with. That you know that there is brokenness in, in their life. There's brokenness around you. And God has put a mission or a vision on your heart. I just invite you today to write that on a card today. And maybe there's nothing on your mind. Maybe you need to spend some time praying, God, give me a mission. Give me a vision. I want to be a part of this, this good work. This morning, we're going to have a few minutes. We're going to take communion here. And why are we going to take communion this morning? Well, we do have once a month here at our church uh, to remind us of God's grace. And, and what did he tell us in the scripture a couple of times? Why did this work? Why did this plan work? Why did the king say yes? Why did he do all that? Because the 
gracious hand of God was on him. And the only way we can do anything in this world, the only thing that any way that any restoration can happen in our hearts and lives is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to invite you to do two things. Once you fill this out, you can come and you can put that in the wall. Just drop it right in. Just as an act of saying, God, I want to respond and I want to be a part of what you're doing. And then you can come to a table. We're going to have some people serving all around. We believe in an open table at our church, which basically means this. You don't have to be a member of our church. You just have to be a believer in Jesus Christ and want to accept his grace this morning. Maybe in your seats this morning, you need to be praying for your own heart. There's some brokenness in your own heart. You need to say, God, forgive me. I need the, your grace here. Some time of confession before you come up. And maybe you just want to write your name on the blue piece of paper this morning. And that's okay, too. You'll come, and uh, we are going to take by intention this morning. You'll take a piece of bread. you just dip it in a cup. The cup, there'll be servers in each place. You'll take, and you'll just say thanks to God. So just invite you to respond as God is leading you this morning to fill out those, those blue sheets. Sing. Take communion this morning.